Father in heaven, uh, as we were praying in the in the room over there, Lord, I just feel like so much of my my prep is just it feels very very irrelevant this morning. And so, Lord, we ask for your mercy to um, meet us where we are. Let us just in, enjoy the the fun of this story, the fun of your word, the um, how just the, the narrative that you're weaving through history and through us. Let, let us walk out with new eyes for you and for each other. Lord, have mercy on us. We're sinners. And we're here because we know that. And so, Father... Um, Help us with that, that truth. We are sinners and we need you. We look to you for every good thing. You are the holy one. You are the merciful one. You are loving and kind, but you're also terrifyingly powerful. And we, the more we look at your word, the more aware we are. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning to everybody who is um, online. Somebody asked me this morning, they're like, are you all right? Your voice sounds kind of shot. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It's, 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 I've been, you know, have a, been fighting a little bit of a cold, but um, I'm fine. And I'm, I'm really excited about this. Um, I'm really, really excited about the story of Joseph. Um, and I've, I kept, trying to dig and you know, like I usually do in the text and get into words and specifics and history and and it and it kept coming apart because I kept going, look, look at this story. This story is really, really cool. And it's not just cool. I, there's that bigger question of why is it in the Bible? Why is it in this place in the Bible? Why are why why does the why does the <clears throat> inspiring of the Holy Spirit take Moses who penned this and say we're going to spend several chapters on this one thing that happened to this one son. And yeah, historically it's important, but there's so much detail down to dialogue and back and forth. And, and I, think, I think that we, we look at it and we go, oh, what a neat story. But I think that so much of what the Lord is doing with this story is he's giving us a really, really good explanation for what we're doing here and what life is and who he is. And people say, yes, Joseph is a, a, a typology of Christ, and, and, um, and that's true. But then somehow as we're reading it, we kind of set that aside and say, well, wh what specifically is he trying to show us about Christ? And that, so I want to talk about those things today. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll cover the, the text portion, um, but I'm going to take kind of an overarching view and say what's going on in this story. And I think it's going to inform some, it shows us a lot of what Jesus really cares about. And I think that's, I think it's really easy to forget. So let's, let's look at the text. Brian, I'm going to go with 42. I think you're right. Brian and I had this conversation. I'm like, 42? I thought I was in 43. And he's like, well, I preached last week. And I was like, no, Johnny preached last week. And then we stared at each other. We're like, huh. 
huh. <laughs> um, but the, the good news is 42, 43, 44, 45, it's all, one, it's all one narrative. And so you can't do 43 or 42 without also doing the other. So, okay, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? I tried, Jacob is, he's a guy. I think he would have been a tough dad. Um, he's, he's pretty hard on his sons, except the ones he specifically likes more than all the others. And he said, uh, behold, I have heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. That's fair. So 10 of Joseph's brothers <clears throat> went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Okay, let's just back up. Um, it's been around 20 years or so, probably 21, maybe 22 years, since Joseph went out to see his brothers in the field, and they're like, hey, here's our opportunity. Let's get rid of this guy. We don't like him. And then they went back and told Jacob that uh, we, fa we found his coat dipped in blood, or we found a bloody coat. We think he might be dead. And Jacob has been sad every day ever since. And there's a lot of the, a lot of the ancient Jewish legend around that is he's literally never stopped mourning. Like, it, took, it sucked the life out of the house. Um, and so, you can, this has probably made Benjamin's life a little tough. Benjamin's a grown man at this point. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's 24, 25 years old. He's a grown man, and Jacob won't really let him out of his sight because he's, in his words, he's like, I can't take it if something happens to Benjamin. I'm basically shattered because something happened to Joseph. I've got these other sons, and they're fine, but this is the one that I like. That, and that's, he's very clear about that. He's, because the other, now why does he like uh, Joseph and Benjamin specifically? Well, they are the sons of the, the wife that he liked, not the wife that he got tricked into marrying. All the other sons are the, from the, the other less favored wife. And so there's this dynamic of, and guys, think about it. This is how God built his family. God did this specifically. Remember, he, he drew Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and said, I'm going to take my people, my heritage, starting with this guy. And we're only three generations down from that. We got Abraham, Isaac, who we got like a chapter on, and then Jacob, who we've been in that narrative for a while. And this is how God builds his family of, okay, there's going to be a wife that you like, and we're going to say that she gets no babies for a long time. And then there's going to be a wife that you get tricked into marrying, and all the babies are going to come from her, but you're not going to like them, and they're not going to like you. And then when you do have babies with this wife, then they're not going to like those. And then they're going to they're gonna, uh, pr try to murder them. His life's going to get sold. And this is Joseph. Um, and he's going to get sold down into slavery in Egypt, and you might never see him again. Meanwhile, while all that dysfunction is going on, God's over here going, I'll, also, I'm going to take this guy who you think is dead and make him the most powerful man in the world. And, and, and that's may connect, may not. So we're, and we're going to talk about the, the importance of the connection because why would God build his family like that? There's so much anger and malice and guilt and secrets and lying, and, and this is God's family. These are not nobodies. First of all, they're one of the most powerful families in the, in the world at this point, and you got these 12 sons who are formidable warriors. Two of them took out an entire city by themselves, and they're known throughout the region as being really dangerous guys, and they can't get along, and they don't make good choices most of the time.
And this is God's family. Now Joseph, I'm in chapter, or verse 6 of chapter 42. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. What's he selling? He's selling grain. Now, if you weren't here, if you know the story of Joseph, God prophetically revealed to Joseph through Pharaoh's dreams that there was going to be a seven-year famine. We're about two years into the famine, one and a half going on two years into that famine. And so everybody's running out of food. And in Canaan, they're saying, we hear there's grain in Egypt. Well, who's the guy who sells all the grain? Joseph. He's, he's literally the gatekeeper to the entire world's food supply or the entire region's food supply, the known world at the time. He's the guy. So they got to go down. Now, do you think that Joseph knew that his brothers were going to come buy grain eventually? I think so. I think he specifically knew. And there's, according to the old Jewish legends, he was specifically taking a census of everybody who came in and out of the city so that he would know when his brothers showed up. He was planning this. Because if you had been estranged from your, your father and you loved your father and you missed him, and you had been estranged from through tragic circumstances, and you became the most powerful person in the world, you'd think you'd probably go find him, right? Well, I think Joseph had, I don't think he had forgotten all of that. I think he knew that God was doing something, and I think he knew that if he waited on God, something interesting was going to happen, and he, and, when, and, and he was specifically engineering some of these things to come together. Because when they show up, he has a plan. Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. This is the first time they bowed to Joseph. Remember why they didn't like him? Because he had the dream that said, I think you all are going to bow to me someday. And they're like, huh, no. And here we are. Now, they don't know, but that's where we are. And that's the a, that's a thing with, with siblings. Like, I have, I have six of them, six siblings. Um, like, you never really outgrow your nine-year-old self with respect to your siblings. Like, no matter what you do, they're like, eh. <laughs> like, and, 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 you know, because they, they, they know you. And in Joseph's case in particular, it was doubly stacked against him because his father so clearly favored him, and he put him in charge of them while he was younger than them. And any of you who have siblings know, like, that's a recipe for just disaster. And that's exactly what happened. But... God had told Joseph all along that he was going to do this. And even his own parents couldn't see how this was going to happen. But here we are. They're bowing to Joseph in Egypt. They don't know it's him, but they're bowing to him. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Now, the Jewish legend is that they had a hunch that Joseph was in uh, Egypt, and they had been looking for him when they came to the land. They had an agreement, and so they had kind of been going throughout the land, and Joseph said, hey, you guys have been here for how many days before you, came, before you showed up here to buy food? What have you been doing in the meantime? Maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but that's the, that's the legend around it. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, 
We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Now, he, he knows that's not going to happen. He knows that they can't just send a messenger. He knows that Jacob will never just send Benjamin by himself to Egypt, especially when his brother, all the brothers are in trouble. So he's, he's showing them the, the weight and the scales. He's showing them like the, the weight of the one brother versus all of them and putting them in a very powerless position. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while all of the rest of you remain confined so that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. So he puts them in the dungeon, probably, a, probably the same dungeon that he was in or something similar. And what do you think he did? So he sets up this impossible scenario and he, he tells his brothers, none of you are going home except one of you to a messenger to bring your other brother and that's how you're gonna prove to me you're not spies. Why? Now, how can he do that? Well, he can do whatever he wants. He's the most powerful guy. And they're, they're bewildered because they weren't expecting this. These guys are respected guys. They, they get what they want. They're wealthy. And they show up to Egypt, and this guy's just, just he's got them so out of their element. Everything that they thought was going to happen, this was not it. This is, it's not going how they thought. And then he puts them in a room, and he's like, now think about that for three days. And the thing is, they, he, they don't know that he can understand what they're saying. So can you imagine that he's getting pretty steady reports on exactly the conversations they're having while they're in prison? So he's letting them all stew, and he knows everything that's going on, and they have no clue that he knows. They don't know that he knows. On the third day, remember, the third day is always uh, something's going to be revealed. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God, which would be a surprise to them, because Egypt had different gods than Canaan, and especially than uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. So he's saying, he's, he's always a step ahead of them, and, and they're never really expecting that he's going to reveal about what he's, what he's about to say. I fear God, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the families of your household, or grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they were saying to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. So they're feeling guilt. That's the thing about facing power. When you face power, real power, you suddenly become very, very aware of your guilt. And you're going to see that in a few places. When, when they are on their heels, then they start confessing things. It's interesting how power does that. And Reuben answered them. <laughs> this is a great time for Reuben to say, I told you so. Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you guys didn't listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them, and he wept. Why? Joseph cries a lot in this story, which is a really neat thing. He's, he's very openly emotional. Now remember, Joseph is a type of Christ, and we see him weep 
in passion and sorrow and compassion several times in this story. So he's, he's, he's had all of his pain for 20-something years, and now he's seeing their, what it's done to them. The division, they've had a 20-year secret dark argument about this scenario. And every time something goes bad, Reuben can be like, I told you guys not to do it. This is probably because of what you did to Joseph. Remember how I told you not to? You know? And Joseph didn't know all that necessarily, but, but so he's seeing his brothers kind of differentiate from each other. He's seeing which ones were where in the, in the narrative because he had just been collectively betrayed by all of them. As far as he knew, what happened to him had been you know, an agreement. So Joseph wept, and he returned to them, and he spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So he kind of roughed. Now, keep in mind, Simeon is a powerful warrior. And so it, there's probably a little bit more to this scene than we get in that one sentence. If Simeon resisted, it was probably a scene. The legend is that he resisted and it was a scene. The, the legend, it's, it, I'll just share it because it's fun and kind of funny. The legend is that none of Joseph's guards could subdue Simeon. And Simeon, because Simeon has, he's infused with this power from God because he is the direct line of God's people. And, and nobody, can, nobody can handcuff him, basically. They can't, they can't restrain him. And the legend is that Joseph's son Manasseh comes over and like smacks him down to the ground and all the brothers are like, I don't think that guy's an Egyptian because nobody's ever been able to do that to Simeon except us. So that's the legend. Maybe true, maybe not, but it's kind of funny. Um, Joseph uh, gave orders to fill their bags with grain. Why do you think he chose Simeon, by the way? What's the deal with Simeon? I think Simeon, as you kind of read between the lines and piece together the narratives and look at what Jacob says about Simeon in, in chapter 49, Simeon's probably kind of the, the meanest of the brothers. He's got a, he's got a lot going on. And, and Jacob basically said at the end of his life, Jacob says, Simeon and Levi are cruel, and they like it. So Simeon may have been the, the instigator, the one, because remember, Reuben and Judah both had compassion and helped Joseph when the others were going to sell him or, or, uh, or, or murder him. That was the discussion. Should we murder him or just sell him? And Simeon may have been the loudest voice in there. So Joseph chooses that guy, and, he's, and Simeon, you know, he's, he's, he's got a reputation Joseph says, okay, he's going to stay. He's going to sit in prison. You guys go and get your brother. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. Oh, and Joseph, in verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Now, back when I was in the military, I was trained in um, interrogation. And one of the things you do if you want to get honesty out of somebody is you keep them guessing all the time. You never let them fall into their normal pattern. You keep changing the circumstances and just keep them scratching their heads because then, then their narrative is always tilted. And eventually you'll get the truth. So what he's doing is he's treating them terribly on one hand. He arrests one of them, but he's sending them on their way and he's, giving, and he's quietly putting all their money back in their sacks. He knows that they're going to stop for the night, open it up and go, what the heck is going on? And that's exactly what he wants them wondering. What is going on? What is going on? That's a very important question to keep asking as we go through the narrative. They loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. 
And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money's been put back. Here it is in the mouth of the sack. At this, their hearts failed them. Remember, when you feel guilty, something that otherwise could be enjoyable and pleasant just fills you with fear. They're fearful. They're afraid. And they turned, trembling to one another, and said, what is this that God has done to us? Notice who gets the credit for that. God gets the credit. And he'll get the credit again, not from these guys, but from Joseph's own servant in chapter 43. It's interesting. We'll just go there. It's a really interesting little statement. Chapter 43, verse 23 they're afraid, and they're trying to confess, like, hey, um, this is the next time they go down and see Joseph, and they're like, hey, uh, last time we, we were leaving, and somehow the money was in our sacks. We brought extra. Please don't kill us. And the servant replies in verse 23 of chapter 43, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put the treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Isn't that interesting? Because this is Joseph's butler who says, yeah, God put it back which they, they knew. They said in chapter 42, but they're afraid. When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. He basically says, okay, thanks for bringing the food. How was your trip? And they're like, we don't know. Not good. Not good. Wasn't a good trip. We were in prison for a little while. Um, Simeon still is, uh, but we have all our money and we don't know what's going on. So they said, the man this is so funny. They called, they called Joseph the man through the rest of this narrative. The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies in the land. But we said to him, we're honest men. We've never been spies. We're 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. But the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take the grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. So what's happened? First, he staked all the brothers against Benjamin. Now, he's staking all the brothers and Benjamin against Simeon for Jacob. So he's reversed the stakes. He's staked, uh, and, he's, and he's making Jacob make a decision that he knows is going to be really, really, really tough for him. And the brothers are going to have to convince their father that their youngest brother is safe with them, or else they're going to starve. That's the stakes, and he knows it, and he did it on purpose. As he emptied their sacks, behold, as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, Jacob. Jacob is very, he's, he's always, look at what you've done to me. This is, you know, he's, um, he, he, every time something goes wrong, he's just like, what, why'd you guys do this to me? It's a funny position he's always in. You've bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Which, why is he blaming them for that? He doesn't really know, but he somehow kind of pins it on them. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I'll bring him back to you. And Jacob's like, no. <laughs> he, just, he, just doesn't, he just doesn't buy it. He says, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he's the only one left. He's talking to his other sons and he's like, I can't send my son, it's the only one I've got. And they're like, yeah, we, we know, thanks dad, it's, it's, nothing has changed. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring my gray hairs down with sorrow to Sheol. I st we use that, uh, growing up, we used to use that, um, 
that phrase. You'll bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow is what it says in the NIV. But it's actually not the grave, it's Sheol. And the reason he says Sheol, if you go all the way back to when, uh, to verse, uh, chapter 37, uh, verse 35, when he's told that Joseph is dead, then he says, I shall go down to Sheol to my son in mourning. So Sheol was the place where families were reunited. It's an interesting um, way they thought about it and, and probably an accurate way they thought about it because in the scripture when somebody dies, it says, and he was gathered to his people. So he says, when I go to Sheol, I'm going to be reunited with Joseph. But he says, um, You're gonna, I don't want to go down with, you know, here I am, your, your, your blind, gray-haired old father, and I'm blaming you guys for everything. So that's where we're at. Now, here's the problem. And this is where I want to shift the narrative a little bit. Who's Joseph in the story? Joseph is a type of Christ. And there's a reason this story is in the Bible, and there's a reason it plays out like it does, and there's a reason we have so much detail. What it's saying is, if you want food, you have to go see the king. That's, that's what's happening. And, so, and remember, Jesus refers to himself as the food and the water for your soul, frequently. You want food? You've got to go see the king. And what we see play out in this situation is a, a perfect reflection of how we interact with Christ. The, the walk of, of what God is doing with our lives. What's the one thing Joseph is interested in? The one thing he's interested in. It's the theme we had from the book of James. He's going to rub their faces in, how are you treating each other? That's what he's going to do. How do you treat each other? Do you care more about yourself or others? What about the people you don't like? How are you treating them? That's the, that's the quest he's on, because here's what he's going to do. First, I mean, th- let's, let's just look at it. He gets totally betrayed by them. And then becomes, you know, uh, er- in earthly terms, the king of the world. Okay, Jesus gets betrayed by his people and goes and becomes the king of heaven. And anybody who wants actual food and sustenance, anybody who doesn't want to die and starve to death, has to face him. And that's the question he asks. What have you been doing since you betrayed me? What have you been doing? How are you treating each other? And they they don't understand who he really is, even though he told them when he was a kid. He told them, I'm going to be in charge. You're all going to bow down to me. And they all said, never going to happen, Joseph. We don't even like you. In fact, we'll get rid of you. We'll get you out of the picture. You you see the parallel of of, of Christ's story, where from the beginning, he's the favored son. He shows up to his people in Israel and says, I'm the one who's, I'm the Messiah, I'm the anointed one, I'm the one in charge, I'm the one who's going to reign in heaven, and they're like, we don't even like you, is basically what we learned in the entire book of Matthew. All the people in charge are like, no, in fact, you know what, let's, we've had enough of this, we're going to get rid of you. Well, the problem is, he's the one with the food. And if you want sustenance, if you want life, you've got to face him. And he's only interested in one thing. How are you treating each other? And he's examining in ways that they don't understand. They don't even know that he speaks their language. 
He's putting them in situation after situation after situation to grind their face proverbially into how are you treating each other? Let's look at what Jesus says about this. It's uh, Matthew 25. I opened to Genesis. That wasn't helpful. Matthew 25 should be the, the last section of that chapter. All right. This is titled Final Judgment. Think about when Jesus talks about the least of these. Who's the least of these in the narrative we're reading? Who's the least? Benjamin. Benjamin's the least of these. Because the father really, really likes him, but he's the youngest and the brothers don't like him that much. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Listen to the basis on which he separates them. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, now listen, they're, they're confused. They're going, what? That's, that's not what we were doing with our life. The righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's Benjamin to Joseph. He's going to put them in the situation and say, what are you going to do with Benjamin? Because however you treat him is how you treat me. And I already know how you treated me, but if you treat him, well, let's, let's just talk through what goes with the narrative. So Benjamin's going to go down to Egypt. Jacob's going to hate it, and he's going to say, listen, do not let him out of your sight. You keep this kid with you, but I don't want to starve. You guys have to go down. Bring a present. Do anything you can to appease the king. And Judah's going to say, I stake my life for Benjamin's. Reuben already tried, and Jacob's like, no, I don't care. Judah, how about Judah? And so um, Judah's going to stake his life for Benjamin's. Joseph's going to set them up when they get to Egypt. They're going to they're show up in Egypt, and he's going to set them up where they have to follow through on that promise because he's going to frame Benjamin. He's going to frame Benjamin by, first of all, he's going to keep them on their heels the entire time, and he's going to keep them arguing with each other because he wants to hear their dialogue, and he's going to confuse them and keep their, their, you know, their eyebrows raised the whole time they're there through a, a, a really clever setup. And then they're going to head back out on the road, and then he's going to frame Benjamin for stealing. And he's going to say, well, I'm a very merciful king, so you just leave him in Egypt and just go back to your father and just tell him something happened to him. Sounds familiar, right? Because they know that that's what they did to Joseph. They know it. He's saying, go back, go, go see how this goes on round two. Go think about this time, think about what it's going to do to your father. Because you didn't think about it the first time. So how are you treating your father? How are you treating your brother? What do you think would happen if they take him up on it? If when Benjamin is there, what do you think is going to happen further on the story if they say, all right, we'll go home. 
Thanks for the grain. What's going to happen? Well, Benjamin's going to be with Joseph. You know Joseph's going to be kind to Benjamin. It's his own brother. But is Joseph ever going to reconcile with his brothers or his father? Is he ever going to tell them who he is? Is he ever going to really reveal himself to them? No. And what's at stake? The entire kingdom is at stake, whether or not they participate in the kingdom. That's what's at stake. Because he's saying, I'm actually your brother, and I'm the most powerful one in the world. Do you want to join me? What matters is how you treat each other. You see, someday you're going to meet Jesus. I promise you, it's going to happen face to face. And you're going to feel, as the brothers felt, it, in the face of true power and authority, you're going to feel all the guilt like they did. And it's going to come right up to the surface. And you're going to go, oh, no. Oh, no. And what's, what is Joseph, because what, what are you going to be afraid of? You're going to be afraid that he's going to condemn you for it. There is never a word of condemnation from Joseph, never once. He doesn't condemn them. He just says, how are you treating each other? And then, when he sees that they've learned something, he says, welcome. Everything I have is yours. Kingdom's yours. You're my brothers. He never reminds them, never condemns them. In fact, he says to them, hey, don't worry about what you did to me. I just want to know that you figured it out somewhere along the way, that how you treat people matters, and that everything you do to somebody, you're doing to me. You got it wrong with me, but to get it right, this is how you treat people. That's the story of Joseph because that's the story of us. That's the story of our life. That's the type of Christ. We're going to stand in, in front of him, and he's going to say, I don't condemn you for anything. How are you treating each other? How are you treating the person you don't like? That's what matters to me because you know what? All that pain and suffering you put them through, all the suffering you put my dad through, you, put, you did it to me. All the suffering, however you mistreat your brother Benjamin, that's how you mistreat me. Get it right. That's literally the question he's going to ask you. He's going to say, what would you do with your life? And you're going to say, well, I got this award and I did this thing and I got this promotion. Goes, no, 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 that's not what I mentioned in. What about that person? Tell me about that. What, tell me about that situation. Let's, let's look at this, this, this case study together. Let's, let's look at this time, this thing that you don't want to think about. We're going to look at it. Hey, everybody, come look at this. Let's, let's, let's learn from this. And then when you're going, wow, I'm probably going to prison. I'm definitely not going to be in the kingdom. Then he's going to say, no, no, it's a, it, that's not the point. The point is, you're my brother and the kingdom's yours. I just want to make sure you learn how to treat each other in the meantime. It's a pretty cool story, isn't it? And it kind of answers a lot of things. Because you, now, there's another what if. What if Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and they go, I knew it. It's a setup. I still don't like you. I don't want any part of your kingdom. What if that? He let's say he reveals himself to his brothers and and, and they go, you know, you've always been a liar. You've always been full of yourself. This is all a fraud. We don't know how you tricked Pharaoh into making, putting you in charge, but I don't want your grain. What's going to happen? What's it going to do, first of all, to Joseph's heart? 
It'll break his heart again. What's he going to do? Force them into the kingdom? No. He's going to say, you can go. And they will. And they'll, and they'll go out there and they'll rage against him for the rest of their lives. Talk about what a fraud he is. Well, that's the difference between heaven and hell. Because the problem is to get the food and the kingdom, they've got to reconcile with Joseph because he's in charge. There's no other, there's no alternative. He's got all the food. And he's not trying to starve them, but if they hate him, they're going to hate his food. And they're going to go be hungry in the wilderness somewhere and mad. And they're going to hate the people who did join the kingdom, and everything, every good thing he gives them, they're just going to see as a, a sign of betrayal. I mean, you can put yourself into this narrative. This narrative answers a lot of questions about our life and about what Jesus is doing. He has, he, he's, he's offering them everything, and it's going to come down to how they treat each other and whether or not they'll reconcile with him. Isn't that neat? Let's pray. Let's have the worship team come on up while I pray. Let's pray and, and think about that, and then I'll come back and lead us in communion together. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us these opportunities to understand your heart. Lord, thank you that, that Joseph has such a heart of compassion for his brothers, that he, that he feels the pain, he wants them reconciled, he's trying to do good for them. And it all comes down to whether or not they'll have it, whether or not their hearts will soften. Lord, thank you that we can trust that that's your heart for us. Thank you that you tell us that you'll always forgive us, that there is no condemnation. But you're really interested, Father, in how we treat each other in the meantime and whether or not we're interested in being in your kingdom. Because to be in your kingdom, you have to be the king. We have to accept your kingship. So, Father, I ask that you press on our hearts two things this morning. Press on our hearts, Lord, your compassionate kingship. And press on our hearts, Father, the work that you want us to do in the meantime, remembering that how we treat people is how we treat you. Lord, I pray that you would raise up in our spirit that image of standing before you and you reviewing the situations. And I pray that, and that you would raise up in our spirit that we have the opportunity to get it right so that when we stand before you, you can say, good job, yes. That's how you treat somebody who's hurt you. Raise that up in our spirit, Lord, and give us the courage, knowing it's not out of fear or condemnation, Father, but it's out of love for you because we want to treat you the way you deserve. And you treat us with such grace, such grace. We worship you together, Father. Amen. Take, take just a minute and just, just, just look around the room because I, I can see all of you. You guys are just looking at me. Look at each other for just a minute. And look around and every person in here Scripture tells us, is in the image of Christ. Every person is an imager of God, bearing his own self. That's what we're told. And then he says, everything you do to the people around you, you're doing to me, for better and for worse. 
And he says in that Matthew 25 passage that he's going to separate us at the end based on how we treated him, which is a function of how we treat each other. And he sets you up in life where you have these relationships that are really hard. It's a setup. And he's only interested in what you do to him in the process. And it's not a setup where he's, he's watching from a distance in cruelty. He's in the setup. He is the person in your life. He's, the, he's feeling everything, including what's done to you and including what you do to others. That's why Joseph is so emotional through this. He feels they're hurt more than they do. He feels the compassion that they don't know how to feel yet. He feels their guilt. He knows their guilt. And, and they're guilty. They did some terrible, terrible things to him specifically. And they have no idea that everything they did to their brother that they didn't, that they didn't like and all the justifications they had and all the good reasons they had for, for hating him, that that's the king standing in front of them. They have no idea. Do you see the setup? Because if they, if they knew, if they knew that they were pandering to the king, they would never learn. They would never learn the, the heart that he wants them to have. Because participation in the kingdom of God is a certain heart. It has to recognize the kingship of God and recognize how he values people. It requires both. And there's no way around it. You can't, it, Joseph's brothers cannot trick him into thinking that they're better than they are. They can't do it because he knows everything. And then he arranges their lives so that they have to face it over and over. They're gonna face it this way and then they're gonna face it this way and then they're gonna go back and face it with their father. Then they're gonna face it with their brother. Then they're gonna sit in prison and stew about it for a little while and then they're gonna go back. Meanwhile, Simeon's in prison being like, what is taking these guys so long? I thought they'd be back in like a week. It's been months, you know? And, and he's just wondering where they are and when, if they're ever going to come get him. He's like, I, you know what? Dad's never going to let Benjamin come. I'm, I'm just here. I, I mean, th that's the conclusion he has to come to in the process. And you think Joseph is far from that? No, he's, he knows every day what Simeon's doing and saying. He's watching the breakdown of Simeon. And he's rooting for him the whole time. He wants to see Simeon's heart soften. He can't wait to reconcile him back to his brothers. And hear Simeon say, what took you guys so long? And have them, you know, give their excuses. And then he's going to see Benjamin. And just seeing him is going to wreak an, a, just emotional devastation on him to where he has to leave the room to control himself and come back. And then he's going to say, so how are you guys doing? That's what happens in chapter 43. He says, how are you doing? How's your dad? You see, brothers and sisters, that, that's, that, that's that life review that we're going to get. That's, we're going to stand in front of Jesus, and he's going to go, how are you doing? How's your dad? How's your brother? How's your sister? What's going on? Not because he doesn't know, but because he wants you to think about it and know that that's what he's interested in. And then he's going to reveal He's going to reveal that he's known everything all along. And our great fear, our great fear is going to be, yeah, sorry, sorry, I, I, guess, I guess I got that wrong. 
all right, I'll go now. And he's going to say, no, 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 I'm not condemning you. I don't condemn you. Everything you did to all those others you did to me. And everything I have is yours, if you want it. And that, that unconditional love, I mean, that's so, so rare. That, that total lack of condemnation, sometimes, sometimes he gives us a, a peak for a moment on earth. Sometimes you get a peak. Some lucky people get a peak, a sliver, an experience, something where they go, oh, I felt a love. I, it was a different kind of love. And when you know that love, think about, think about when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Can they ever lie to him again? No. Can they ever hate him again? They can be bewildered by him. If they accept his kingship and go, wow, you're the king, and you're not even mad at me after I tried to kill you and sell you into slavery? Wow. Like, can they ever really have any, any problem between them again? when he says, I'm not condemning you at all. Just be good to each other. Even Simeon, right? It's such, a, such an incredible picture because we can put ourselves in literally every, every place in the narrative. And we can look at the story of Joseph and say, what an amazing story. It is an amazing story. But the amazing story is that that story is the story you're living in and it's bigger. And the kingdom is eternal. And it's everybody you've ever known and everybody you ever will know. That's the story of Scripture. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, I can guarantee you, every single person in this room has some work to do. I know it because you're still here. You're alive. He's still got you in the narrative. He still has you in the setup. He still has you surrounded by people in your life, and he's there, and he's watching, and you're not, he hasn't taken you up with him yet, you're still here. That means you have work to do. And that work's gonna come down to how do you treat each other? And every one of you, if you think about it and you position yourself before the unconditionally loving, ever compassionate king, and he asks you that question and says, hey, let's take a look at some things in your life, you know exactly where he's going, don't you? You know exactly where he's going. You know what he's gonna be looking at. Some of it you're proud of, and some of it you're like, could we please skip that scene, right? And what he's telling you is, there's, you can still do the work. You're still here. You can still do it. I'm not going to condemn you for it, but you're still in the setup. That's why Joseph is saying, I'm giving you a whole other chance with Benjamin. Well, you, you didn't get it right with me, but here's Benjamin, and if you get it right with him, then you got it right with me. Get it right with Jesus. Because remember, everybody in this room is a picture of him. It's in the Bible. Do the work. That's, that's, that's the, the message from today. Do the work. Not out of condemnation, but out of joy and love, knowing that there's so much joy on the other side of it. The whole kingdom is yours if you want it. It's not, and I don't mean later. It already is. He is your brother, and he is king, and he's offering you everything, and he's not condemning you. He's not going to throw you out of the kingdom. You're, you can choose to leave if you want to, which is a, a tragic waste, but he's not going to throw you out. You just have to recognize that he's king, 
and treat them white by treating the people he loves well because he feels everything they feel and he knows every hurt that you have. So can you do that work this morning? Do it in prayer. Take it to him. Take it to him. That when we, when we have that, that life review with Christ, it's a reunion. It's not, it's not the first time we see him. It's what's been going on all along. It's just when he reveals it. It's a reunion. So do the work in prayer. We, we have, um, we'll, we'll have a sister over here to pray. Pray with me. Just remember what he's really interested in and how much he likes you. And he's rooting for you. Even Simeon, rotting away in prison, thinks that that king hates him and is like, how unbelievably unfair. Is it, is it unfair that Simeon's in there? Absolutely. But Joseph's doing the work for him. Maybe you feel like Simeon. Maybe you feel like Judah, going like, ah, I, don't, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to take this to, to Jacob. Maybe you feel like Jacob, going, I can't do this again. But Joseph knows all of it, and Christ knows all of it in your life, every single bit of it. Okay, I love you guys. Let's continue to worship. Let's do the work, and let's pray together.